All right, welcome back to another exciting episode of Paranormal Stories and Spooky Shiz. I'm your host, Chappie, and let's get right into it. All right, you guys came here for some spooky stories, and I'm going to deliver tonight. All right, jumping right into our first one from Pedestrian.tv, written by Matt Jalea. Alrighty, the dark figure, and these were compiled from Reddit. So, the dark figure. When I was in primary school, I shared a queen-size bed with my older sister and our family dog, a mutt that looked like a short-haired lassie, would sleep at the foot of our bed every night. When I was about six years old, I woke up one night about midnight and saw a dark figure standing at the foot of the bed. The figure was entirely in black, without any eyes or a face. I tried to wake my sister up, but she rolled over to go back to sleep. My sister must have accidentally kicked the dog because the dog woke up and raised its head and started growling at the figure at the foot of the bed. The growling then woke my sister up, and she saw the figure and started screaming. When my parents came into the room and turned the light on, nothing was there. To this day, both my sister and I are adamant that we saw a ghost or other demon in our room. We, we know we aren't crazy because the dog saw it too. All right, this one is called Demon Girl. I live in a small town in rural Australia. Ugh, it's always Australia. I'm a cyclist and I coordinate sports events, marathons, sell bikes, gear, and whatnot. Around 6 a.m. this morning, I drove my bike up the mountain, and on the way I passed a woman sitting by the side of the road. At first, I thought she could have been a hitchhiker, but there's no hotels around here, and she had no bags. I stopped my car about 400 meters away from her, grabbed a bottle of water out of the car boot, and walked down to see what was going on. This is the moment I realized she was one of the most gorgeous women I've ever seen. She was probably about 20, pale as all get out, long wavy hair to her hips, and one of them German kind of hourglass figures. Really blue eyes. Like, this chick was crazy hot. Was wearing those long summer dresses that beach kids seem to love. Which was freaking weird for the middle of the Australian bush. So I walk in towards her like, oh my god. But also thinking, what the fuck. I hand her the bottle of water and ask if she's lost or needs a lift back to town. She just stares. Doesn't take the water. No blinking. And I think... Oh shit, she's some kind of crazy. So I asked her if she ran away from somewhere, and she just said no, and hadn't blinked yet. So I asked if she's waiting for someone to come pick her up, and she said no, again. I asked where her house is, and she said here. I'm halfway up a mountain. There's no houses around here. So I was kind of starting to get creeped out by this lady. I walked back to my Jeep, was going to drive back down the mountain, and called the cops and get them to come sort this lady out and she follows me i was like look are you sure you don't want to run back to, to town and she says no again so i'm all look i don't feel comfortable leaving you here in the middle of nowhere please let me take you to the police station and she turns around and walks off off into the bush miles from anywhere and i'm just sitting there like what the fuck 
and I really started to get scared when the bugs and bird noises started to come back. It made me realize there hadn't been a single other sound while I was talking to her. Like, no magpies, no crickets, no early morning sounds at all. I held, hightailed it out of there and called the local coppers when I reached the bottom of the mountain. Basically, just that I saw a woman up the mountain who refused to get in my car and then realized how messed up that sounded and I hung up. But what the hell was that? Alright, the thin man. When I was 16, I was riding horses with my friends in the fields behind her house. The horse threw me and I hit my head, hard. The next thing I know, I'm on my back in incredible pain, staring up at my friend, who was frantically screaming at me. Dazed, my gaze shifted and then refocused on her friend behind her, a tall, thin man wearing a black suit and old-fashioned wide-brim hat. He was staring unblinkingly into my eyes over my friend's shoulder. Days later, she came to visit me in the hospital, and I asked about the man I'd seen. I thought it was a new boyfriend she recently told me about. She told me there was no one there but me and her. Horrifically large. I frequently go bushwalking all throughout the Blue Mountains in Australia, and have done since I was a kid with my dad. Sometimes for shorter walks, I go alone. Yeah, that could be dangerous, and as a woman, I could have added risk of being attacked or whatever, but I carry a couple of knives with me, so I don't feel threatened. As always, bringing a satellite phone. I just love and crave the feeling of being entirely surrounded by the bush. Anyway, about approximately five years ago, I thought it would be a good idea to do an overnight walk by myself. It was a really crappy idea. The walk was fine. Three or four groups of people came by the other way on the first day. I picked a little area to stay overnight towards dusk, cut a few ferns back, and I had a space to stick my little one-person tent. I was maybe 30 meters from the track, mostly out of sight behind the trees and such. The usual wildlife noises were going on, and I drifted to sleep. Though there was a strange noise, I can only describe it as a bounding sound, like someone was sprinting through the bush right past me. But it went way too fast to, with too few steps to carry a person. And if you've ever seen the bush in this part of Australia, you know there isn't much space on the ground to walk freely if you're off the track. You have to at least wade through bushes and ferns, kind of like this, so you can't exactly sprint full speed while eating all of that. I felt a bit uneasy, but thought it probably just stuff falling from a tree or whatever. Next morning, I had a breakfast and packed my things and kept going along the track, past a couple of people going the other way, then was alone again for another half an hour, and I heard the sound of a stick being broken, like someone stepping on it. The sound came from behind me and to my left, away from the track. I turned around to look and nearly died. A fair distance into the bush was something standing there, looking directly at me. I wanted to believe it was a person, but it wasn't. I can't judge the exact height, but it was obviously very tall. I'd guess nine feet. Its skin was dark gray or brownish. It had horrifically large head with huge black eyes. I could see a mouth, or I couldn't see a mouth or anything. It had arms and legs that were really long. I, almost, I was almost crying, tears welled up in my eyes, completely frozen, staring at this creature. 
It was like my legs were locked in position. The longer the stare went on between me and the creature, I had this ever-heightening feeling of absolute dread, like nothing I'd ever felt before. The fear built up until I could see my heartbeat in my veins and my vision. I suddenly bolted. I sprinted away, continuing on the track. I ran and ran and was too scared to look behind me. Tears were streaming from my eyes as I was running away. I didn't stop until I actually caught up with some people going the same direction as me. They looked at me and were saying, Oh my god, are you alright? I was fucked from running so hard for so long. I told them I saw something in the bush and asked if I could walk with them the rest of the way. It took me six months, but I did start bushwalking again. But I never go alone these days. You couldn't pay me to do it. Wow. Just black. My then boyfriend, now husband, and I live in a row of apartments above shops in town. Two-story building, we live on the top floor. I always felt the presence of a child. I'd turn around expecting someone to be standing right behind me, but I instinctively looked downward, as if looking for a small person. One night, I even heard footsteps running up and down our hallway. My boyfriend didn't hear it, as he was gaming headphones at the time. At this time, we kept our door closed, and two cats locked out of the bedroom at night. One night, I woke to the sound of the potted plant I had in the room rustling. I wondered if the cat was locked in the room. I checked, and nope, went back to sleep. Woke up again shortly thereafter to a black figure in front of me. I was laying on my side, facing the edge of the bed. It looked like a head and shoulders with no distinct features, just black. I thought it was maybe a cat sitting on the edge of the bed and reached out, but nothing was there. I didn't feel afraid and went back to sleep. I continued to feel a presence there, but never had a visual experience again. Ooh, freaky. Furniture Fiend. I was home alone and in the bath, and I had to close the door so that my dogs wouldn't run in and try and jump into the bath too. I was in there for a good 45 to 50 minutes, and when I climbed out and opened the door, there had been a table moved right in front of the door. I never heard of a thing while never heard a thing while it was happening. Never even heard my dogs bark, and they bark for anything, and they were playing outside, which is so strange for them. Port Arthur Ghost Tour. We did the ghost tour at Port Arthur. It was the final one at 9 p.m., and it was a trek. There was a whole lot of sights across the sea, a Delaric church across the area, a, del- a derelict church, an old-timey house, a bunch of houses, an underground sort of makeshift morgue where there were rumors of witchcraft back in the day, and the worst, freakiest place was the dungeon it was above ground yes but it was the most intensive security complex on the site we went around all of these and since i'm pretty fairly overweight i was freaking out because i kept falling behind in near pitch darkness me and my wife were pretty unsettled by the end and the final place was the dungeon i was exhausted in this group of about 60 ghost tourists were at the end of the south wing listening to the guide I was buggered, so I was a little behind the rest, sitting on a step. It was unnerving, because I kept freaking feeling like some someone was standing right behind me. 
I got to the point where instead of looking at the guide and listening, I was looking the other way, staring into the darkness, listening. It was a struggle between my fear and my laziness. So I sat where I was for a while. Then all of a sudden, all of the three or four doors going in and out of the dungeon started opening and shutting, slamming so hard everyone started screaming. I kept sitting because of my laziness knows no bounds, but I screamed the loudest. The guide said it was probably a good idea to leave, so we did. Some of the guests stayed at the hotel on the other side of the site, and they were so freaked out that they asked the guide if they could be guided back. He was like, yeah, nah, because then he would have to have walked back by himself. Alright, Ouija board haunting. My first experience with the Ouija board was at a friend of a friend's house. I was there with my best friend and her boyfriend at the time. My best friend, we'll call her Jessa, had grown up in the house, which is notoriously haunted. The women who lived there would wake up with scratches on their backs, and they would routinely see a ghost of a little boy all the time. Anyway, Jessa's childhood friend moved in and there when the family moved out. We were there for her housewarming party. Jess's friend had a board. Jessa and I are both pretty spiritual, and neither of us wanted to touch it. Nothing was happening, so Chuck convinced us to do it, saying we were witchy. As soon as we touched it, the cursor started moving. At first, it was like saying it was a little boy, and I looked at each other like, oh, great. Both of us knowing that the little boy in the house. Suddenly, Chuck was like, oh, man, did you guys feel that? We all felt it. The air became thick, like hard to breathe. He described exactly what I felt. It was almost like the air was thick fog or mist, but it was still dry. The board started spelling things like slut, F her, cheater, B word, F you, he F'd her. The cursor was moving more rapidly every word. Finally, Jessa was like, okay, stop and the pointer stopped, dead in its tracks. It stopped too abruptly that my hand slipped off, and when I touched it again, I, it dragged slowly to the bottom of the board, ending on goodbye. Months later, I was crashing at a friend's place. They had a basement apartment, and I was crashing on their couch. The guys invited over some girls I didn't know, and they wanted to try using a Ouija board. I didn't want to touch it, but it wasn't so wasn't working so I finally gave in and decided to try. As soon as I touched it the pointer started to move. I was touching the pointer with my friend. The cursor was moving really fast so as a game I said move faster and it started moving quickly. I kept saying faster and eventually it was moving so fast my friend touching the cursor was saying this isn't funny as if I was moving it. I said I wasn't moving it and he freaked out releasing the board and the pointer went shooting across the room. At that point, we were all pretty convinced it was real. One of the girls wanted to see more, so we grabbed the cursor and started again. So then the board asked the girl to speak to the girl named Haley. The board says, family, father, and proceeds to spell her dad's name. She starts freaking out. The board says it's sorry about her dad and that her dad is a drug addict and her mom is a drunk. It says she had to leave the house because her dad is angry. Haley starts crying and freaking out. The board says goodbye. 
We get back to the apartment and Haley is crying. She tells us that her dad is a coke dealer and her mom is a drunk all the time. Her home life is awful. Her dad would frequently get drunk and coked up and hit her. She was only 16 or 17 at the time. They say she can stay at their place too. Interestingly, months later, Haley's mom dropped her off at the apartment complex and she told Haley that her great-grandfather helped build the place. He said he lived there the whole time and died there. After that night, I started reading about Ouija boards. A couple nights later, I went to visit my best friend and her boyfriend, which was walking distance to my apartment. I told them the whole thing, and he says he wants to try it too. Reluctantly, Jessa and I agree. Keeping in mind, we've all been drinking whiskey. Yes, I know, this is an awful idea. The cursor spells out trees, broken glass. Suddenly, it starts getting violent and spells out rape, F her. Jessa and I tell it to stop, and we say goodbye, and the cursor drags to goodbye, and we put the board away. Suddenly, Chuck is like, oh shit, you're not walking home. Then he explains his interpretation of what the board was saying. On my way to my friend's house, like I said, they lived in a basement apartment, so instead of walking through the halls, we'd go through the living room and climb in. To get to the window, we would cut through a back clearing where there were trees all over. He convinced, He's convinced that there was a bad guy in there on that night, and if I walked home, I would get raped. Needless to say, after that visual, I stayed over. The next morning, when I walked through the clearing, there were broken glass bottles all over the place, and my friend said they heard people drinking out there all night. Anyway, I moved out, and Haley and I became friends. <sighs> Somebody brought the board over as a housewarming gift. Man, this is a long story. Right. Basically a bunch more of the same. Okie dokie. Bunch more stories of the same with them using the Ouija board. <laughs> Alright. Let's check on our time. Let's take a short break and be right back at it after this. All right, welcome back. Let's take a left turn into some stories from kind of ancient times and uh, see about some ghosts recorded from way back then. All right. This comes from LiveScience.com. From a spooky 3,200-year-old written on broken pottery pieces to amateur YouTube videos of ghost chases, frightening tales of apparitions, demons, and goblins have been documented since ancient times and continue to fascinate people today. Although these paranormal events aren't, aren't supported by science, they have persisted throughout history. Here's a look at some of the most frightening cases. This is a 1200 BC ghost story from Egypt. In 1915, Egyptologist Gaston Maspero published a translation of an ancient Egyptian ghost story, possibly set in Luxor, ancient Thebes, shown above, that was discovered 
on four pieces of pottery. In the story, a ghost of a mummified man tells a high priest of the god Amun about his current condition. I grew, and I did not see rays of the sun. I did not breathe the air, but darkness was before me every day, and no one came to find me, the ghost said. The ghost seems to complain of some accident that has happened to himself or to his tomb, but I cannot make out what the subject of his dissatisfaction, Miss Barrow wrote. The ancient Egyptians believed strongly in life after death and created a series of spells called the Book of the Dead, which they believed helped them reach the afterlife. And that's it for that one. The Ghost of Tupo. Tupo was an ancient Chinese ghost with revenge on his mind. Before he died, Tupo served as a minister to the Chinese Emperor Husan, Huswan. The two had a disagreement, and Huswan had Tupo killed in 786 BC, despite warnings that Tupo would come back and haunt him. Tupo did a lot more than haunt the emperor. Three years later, in 783 BC, Huswan was killed by an arrow fired by an apparition resembling Tupo in front of an assembly of feudal lords, wrote Chinese philosopher Mo Tzu, lived back then, translated, and that's it. Let me read that again. Huswan was killed with an arrow fired by an apparition resembling Tupo in front of an assembly of feudal lords. Wow. Revenge was on this guy's mind. All right. Moving over to Athens. Changed man, or chained man in ancient Athens. Roman senator Pliley the Younger, who died AD 113, told a ghost tale so haunting that it survives to this day. There was at Athens a large roomy house, which had a bad name, so that no one could live there. In the dead of the night, a noise resembling a clashing of iron was frequently heard, which, if you listen more attentively, sounded like rattling of chains. Disturbances that led to the appearance of a specter, form of an old man, of extremely emaciated and squalid appearance, with long beard and disheveled hair, rattling the chains on his feet and hands. Needless to say, the house was abandoned and had to be rented out for a cheap price. When a philosopher named Athendorus heard the story, he reportedly rented the house and confronted the ghost. The ghost appeared and rattled bef around before vanishing. Athendorus calmly marked the spot where the ghost vanished and in the morning ordered the spot to be dug up, or so the story goes. This was accordingly done, and the skeleton of a man in chains was found there, for the body, having laid a considerable amount of time in the ground, was putrefied and moldered away from the chains. After being given a proper burial, the ghost departed and the house was haunted no more, according to Pliny's tale. Sometimes I think back then they believed in more, but they were also better equipped when stuff like this would happen. They were like, oh yeah, a ghost. Yeah. Let's go see what's making that ghost rattle those chains. <laughs> Whereas we would be like, um, maybe let's just not talk about it. <laughs> maybe let's not go there anymore. 
That's fine. You can you can keep that house. Alright. The next one is called Boarded Up Bathhouse. The writer Plutarch, who lived in AD 45 to 120, tells a ghost story that has a much sadder ending than the one from Athens. In the city of Cernonia, Ronia, Caronia, I don't know how to say that, Greece, there was a boy named Damon who attracted the attention of a Roman military commander who also apparently loved him. Historical records suggest Damon refused the commander's advances, enraging him. Knowing that he would be killed if he did nothing, Damon got a group of friends together and ambushed the Roman commander and several other Roman soldiers, killing them. The city council of Canaria uh, condemned Damon and his friends to death. After that proclamation, Damon, who had not been, who had not been killed, had the council members killed. Damon and his friends then took the countryside, plundering it. Eventually, the townspeople allowed Damon to return, but he was killed shortly afterwards in the local bathhouse. And because for a long while after, a certain phantoms appeared in the place, and groans were heard there, as our father tells us, the door of the vapor bath was walled up, and to this present time, the neighbors think to be the source of alarming sights and sounds, Plutarch wrote. All right. The Tower of London. Britain's numerous castles are hotspots for ghost stories. The 900-year-old Tower of London is said to contain numerous ghosts, and the Queen's House is considered by tower officials to be one of the most haunted locations. Among the ghosts in the Queen's House is that of Arabella Stuart, cousin of King James Arabella, made, or James I. Arabella made the mistake of marrying against the king's wishes and was sent to the tower as punishment. According to the ghost story, she is still serving her time. In another spooky tale, a phantom bear is said to haunt one section of the Tower of London, called Martin Tower. A guard who saw the phantom bear is said to have dropped dead from shock. The Tower of London served as a menagerie for parts of its history and held various types of animals, including bears. Makes a... Makes kind of a claim for, you know, those residual haunts, you know, where things are just recorded by time. The Angara Woods. Let's see. At Angara, Angora Woods, located at the foot of Mount Fuji in Japan, the corpses of dozens of suicide victims have been found over the past two decades, and the forest has been a popular place for troubled Japanese citizens to end their life. Today, there are signs in the forest urging people not to end their lives and asking them to seek help. Given the number of suicides that have occurred in the forest, ghost stories abound, including several alleged encounters with the apparitions of those who have died there, which can be seen on YouTube. Um, the Exorcism of Roland Doe. In 1949, a boy from Cottage City, Maryland, who was referred to as Roland Doe, not his real name, underwent an exorcism performed by a group of Roman Catholic priests, accounts suggest. 
There are conflicting reports as to Roland's alleged powers. Some stories claim that Roland had supernatural strength, could speak in ancient languages that the boy had no knowledge of, could apparently move or levitate the mattress he was lying on. Since 1949, investigators have called into question many of these claims, providing evidence to suggest that Roland was a psych psychologically troubled boy who hated to attend school and that his abilities were far from supernatural. In any event, the exorcism took place. The events inspired a 1971 novel called The Exorcist uh, by William Blatty, which in turn inspired the famous 1973 movie. The Brown Lady of Raymond Rainham Hall in 1936, a photographer taking pictures of 300-year-old Rhinem Hall in Norfolk, UK, captured an image of an apparition floating down the stairs. It is one of the most famous ghost photos ever taken, although some experts believe it was caused by double exposure. The manor covering an area of 7,000 acres has a long history of being haunted, and the BBC notes that ghosts may be of Lady Dorothy Townsend, the wife of the second Viscount of the estate. She died in 1926, supposedly of smallpox, after having an affair which her husband, Lord Townsend, had learned about before her death. She is said to, be, to still wander the manor dressed in brown. The CCTV Ghost Hampton Court Place in Surrey, England has a photogenic ghost of its own. In 2003, a CCTV ghost or camera caught an image of a skeletal figure clad in centuries-old clothes closing a sturdy fire door that had flung open. The ghost, nicknamed Skeletor, attracted a great deal of media attention. It wasn't just security staff who thought they were seeing things. A visitor wrote in the Palace Visitor Book on the day, day that Skeletor appear, appeared that she too had seen a ghost in that area. Skeletor is not the only ghostly inhabitant of Hampton Court Palace. Catherine Howard, one of Henry VIII's wives, was imprisoned there and supposedly dragged to her room screaming all the way. The area that she haunts is called the Screaming Gallery. Amityville. The Amityville haunting is perhaps the most famous ghost story in America. Ronald Defoe Jr. was convicted of the 1974 killing of his mother, father, and four of their children at their home in Amityville, New York. Reports indicate that the gun Ronald used didn't have a silencer, and there was no sign of a struggle inside the house. Facts that left investigators puzzled. In 1975, a new family, the Lutzes, moved into Amityville home, having brought, bought it at a discounted price. They lived there for less than a month. During that time, voices were heard around the house. Their daughter developed an imaginary friendship with a red-eyed pig called Jody. The house attracted swarms of flies, and there was banging on the walls and furniture. It was said to move on its own, according to reports from the family. Paranormal investigators Ed and Lorraine Warren were called in to investigate, and they also reported encountering paranormal phenomena. Ed Warren said he was pushed to the floor of the basement by an unknown force. The house still stands today, and 
although recent owners say it's not haunted. The 1977 book, The Amityville Horror, and number of films have been based on the story. All right. Good deal. Let me check. All right. Let's take a short break and then get right back into the stories after this. All right. Welcome back. We're going to jump right into another story. This one is called A Deadly Exorcism. In August 2016, in North London, 26-year-old Kennedy Ife began acting strange and aggressive following a pain in his throat. He reportedly bit his father, threatened to cut off his own penis, and complained of a python or snake inside him before his family restrained him to a bed with cable ties and excessive force. As the BBC reported, the family set about attempting to cure Kennedy through restraint and prayer over the next three days, the court was told. His brother Colin, I told police, it's clear that thing was in him, and we went what we believed was a demon, because it was not natural. He was clearly trying to kill him, he said. We had to restrain him for himself. It was clear if we didn't restrain him, he could have tried to harm people and our family. Kennedy Ife had been bound to his bed for three days without medical attention when his brother called emergency services, explaining that Kennedy Ife was complaining of dehydration. He appeared to have developed breathing issues and was pronounced dead at 10.17 a.m. As the Independent reported, while police were at the house, Colin Ife allegedly carried out an attempted resurrection by chanting and praying for Mr. Ife. All seven of Kennedy Ives family members were accused of manslaughter, false imprisonment, and causing or allowing the death of a vulnerable adult. A post-mortem examination revealed over 60 wounds, including a possible bite on Kennedy's Ives' body. His father, Kenneth, Kenneth Ife, along with his four brothers, sustained injuries as well. The BBC reported, Kenneth Ife told jurors he ordered his sons to take shifts using overwhelming force but denied that an association with cults, a cult, or secret society played any part in the death. After day four of jury deliberation, all seven family members were cleared of charges on March 14, 2019. Wow. So no one was at fault. Goodness. Dead animals in the walls. When the Bretzeus family decided to insulate their home in Auburn, Pennsylvania in 2015, they discovered that it had already been with scores of dead animal carcasses. The dead animals were wrapped in newspapers from the 1930s and 40s and were among half-used spices and other items. After removing the items, there were several hundreds of artifacts and carcasses to an expert in Kutztown. The expert attributed the rotting animals in the walls to powwow, or Dutch magic, a ritual originating in the culture of the Pennsylvania Dutch to treat ailments and gain physical or spiritual protection. The Pennsylvania Dutch were a group of German-speaking settlers to Pennsylvania in the 1600s and 1700s, and are often Lutheran, Mennonite, or Amish faiths. The Washington Post notes on the magic Many of the spells deal with the care of livestock, finding water, or the treatment of minor ailments, reflecting the condition and concerns of early American settlers. 
The powwow also has within its tradition of darker spells, even of such things as conjuring demons. One notable ritual in their tradition is this hex to create loyalty in a dog. To attach a dog to a person, provided nothing else was used before it to affect it, try to draw some of your blood and let the dog eat it along with its food, and he will stay with you. The mold found on the rotting carcasses in the Brits' home had caused illness among family members, and they say the odor hasn't gone away. Oof. My gosh. Freaky freaky. All right. Florida devil worshiping. Friends noticed that Danielle Harkins, a 35-year-old school teacher near St. Petersburg, Florida, started acting strangely in June of 2012, developing an interest in demonic rituals. Soon after, she was arrested for abuse of seven of her former students, as the Tampa Bay reports. Danielle Harkins told the kids they needed to rid their bodies of demons as the group gathered before dusk Saturday around a small fire near St. Petersburg Pier. They should cut their skin to let the evil spirits out. Police said she told the children. Then she needed to burn the womb to ensure those spirits would not return. When Harkin held a lighter to one teen's hand, wind blew the flame out. Police said that prompted her to douse his hand in perfume before setting it on fire. The boy suffered second-degree burns, police said. Another teen was cut on the neck with a broken bottle. Harkin used a flame to heat a small key, which she then used to cauterize the wound. The police were notified because a friend of one of the students who participated in the raised rituals raised alarms. However, none of the students themselves told their parents about the event and would comment following the arrest of Harkins for aggravated battery and child abuse. NBC reported investigators said they spoken to Harkins and she didn't spell out what type of religion would require such drastic measures. She hasn't informed us exactly what she was trying to accomplish with this. Alright, let's move on to some more stories. An evil creature stalks the Tasmanian island of Pemba in the Indian Ocean. It can change shape, a bat sometimes, a human-like form at others. It prefers to come out at night, but some say that have seen it during the day. It's the Popo Bawa, or bat wing in Swahili is indiscriminate in its targets but is common in a common retelling the spirit sexually assaults men the popobawa story is rather new only dating back a few decades from the time of civil unrest following the assassination of the country's president the popular thinking goes that after a popobawa attack victims must spread the word to others in on pemba otherwise they will continue to be visited by the popobawa Reports of attacks sent some locals into a panic. A few years ago, a series of nighttime sexual assaults were blamed on the Popo Bawa. Some men are staying awake and sleeping in groups outside their homes. The BBC reported in 2007, others are sparing themselves with pig's oil, believing this repels attacks. A peasant farmer named 
Maha Hamad claims he was attacked by the Popo Baba in 1997. I couldn't see it. I could only feel it. But some people in my house could see it. Those who've got the spirits in their head could see it. Everybody was terrified. They were outside screaming, Huyo. It means Popo Baba in there. I had this bad pain in my ribs where it crushed me. I don't believe in spirits, so maybe that's why it attacked me. Maybe it will attack anybody who doesn't believe. That's it on that one. The girl in the bathroom. In Japan, the school contain an infernal the schools contain an infernal secret. If you go to the girls' bathroom on the third floor of the building and walk to the third stall, you might find her. She you have to knock three times and call her name. When you open the stall, a little girl in a red skirt will be there. The little girl with a bob haircut, she wants to, friends to play with, or maybe, perhaps she wants to drag you to hell, through the toilet. Depending on which part of Japan you live in, she may have a bloody hand and grab you, or be a lizard that devours you. Although, I'm getting scared just thinking of her right now, said Jessica. Hanako-san has become a fixture of Japanese urban folklore for the last 70 years. The most popular origin story for tales holds that during World War II, a schoolgirl was used was using the bathroom when a bomb fell on top of the building. The school collapsed on top of Hakusan, who was trapped there ever since. But Hanako isn't the only schoolgirl who haunts Japan's school bathrooms. Kamisha Riko, another young girl, has said to have been cut in half by a train. Now her disfigured spirit inhabits bathrooms, asking children who enter the stall where her legs are. The legend goes that if Kamisha Riko is not satisfied with their answer, she will rip their legs off. Freaky. The woman of your worst dreams. In Brazil, a tall, skinny woman with long yellow fingernails and red eyes creeps along the rooftops and watches families inside their homes. She watches them as they sit at the table for dinner. She watches them while they eat. After the meal, when someone goes to sleep on a full stomach, La Pisadira, as she's called, sneaks into their bedroom. She sits on their chest so they cannot move. The Pisadira has attacked them while watches them as they begin to panic. The victim's eyes partly open, and they're never fully asleep or fully awake, helpless and trapped in a body that won't move. Sleep paralysis is a well-studied disorder. The worst thing is when you try and fight or call for help, a Redditor said in a conversation about experiences like this. Your voice doesn't work and your body will not respond. You just feel helpless. And among those who suffer from it, Across many cultures, there is one unsettling common experience. A sense of a malevolent force is hovering over them in their immobile state. The earliest one I can remember is with my mother in the room, and she's sitting on my bed, and her face morphs into a demon-like thing, a Redditor shared in a thread on sleep paralysis. A large, dark figure, kind of human silhouette, emerging from the foot of my bed and staring down at me. Could her mom or the silhouette have been a pisadera? They went on. Oh, I need to stop trying to remember these things. I'm getting chills.
Hi, MF HM3F Gomez. How are you? I'm just reading some from my podcast. The Weeping Woman. Her name is Maria. She lives in Mexico. She has long, dark hair and covetous heart. The man she loved would not have her, so she took her children in a fit of rage, took them down to the river, and drowned them one by one. When the man she loved spurned her again, she realized what she'd done. She took herself to the water and threw herself in to subject herself to the same fate as her children. But heaven would not have Maria, so she was condemned to wander the world in perpetual grief. She is La Lorna, La Lorona, the wailing woman. The people who have said to see her said they can see her walking, soaking wet, wearing all white, and she has been heard crying out for the little ones that she killed. I miss, miss hijos. She weeps, or oh, my children. Some say she snatches other children, young children as she walks, mistaking them for her own that she knew. Children along the Mexican border grew up with her story, which traces itself to stories about several different female spirits of the Aztec Empire. My earliest memory of her is being in elementary school and being the, in the girls' bathroom, says Terry Martinez, who grew up in Texas in the Rio Grande Valley. She and other young girls would try to summon the Llorona in the bathroom mirror. The lights had to be out. The door had to be closed. They'd splash water on the mirror and say her name three times. It was just seeing who could stand, being in a dark room, seeing how long we could stand there waiting for her to come out of the sink. It usually ended up with a bunch of girls screaming and running out of the bathroom. All right, that's all for that article. Do 17 true scary stories that will ruin your night. Number one, I'm not your dad. A girl I used to know told me a story where her ex-husband used to wake up in the middle of the night because something was tickling his feet. He, she told him her dad used to tickle her and her sister's feet to wake them up for school in the morning. So when weird things started happening around the house, she would just say, knock it off, dad, and it would stop. Well, one day, something happened in the kitchen. She doesn't remember what, and she said, knock it off, Dad. And as she was walking out the door, something growled in her ear. I'm not your dad. <laughs> they moved out a few weeks later. Oof, freaky. The man with the mustache. When my son was about three, he had a tent canopy attached to his bed frame. It covered about three-fourths of the length of his bed. He would always scoot towards the head of the bed and insist covering up head to toe with his blanket, no matter how warm it was. I couldn't turn off the lights until he was finished. I figured it was normal kid stuff. One night, just out of curiosity, I asked why he covered up so thoroughly. And he, his response, because the man with the mustache won't stop touching me. He always try trying to tickle me. If I'm covered and way up here, he can't reach me. No one else had access to our house, so needless to say, that scared the crap out of me. Till this day, he still covers with his blanket, no matter how warm it is, although not as thoroughly as he used to. He doesn't remember the man, but will still not go to bed uncovered. He's a teen now. Oof. Scary. Who wants to hear that as a parent? Not me. 
Alright, imaginary friend. Ex-girlfriend moved into an apartment across the street from me and told me her little brother had a new imaginary friend named Alex. Well, I had been living in that neighborhood for about five years, and three years prior to her moving into my neighborhood, Alex hung himself in that house. Oof. This is all very nope. When I was a teenager in Colorado Springs, we all used to crawl through this small tunnel that was directly under the interstate to get back and forth from our neighborhood to the trailer park without obviously having to jump fences and run across the highway. One drunken night, I was on my way home about 2 to 3 a.m. I came out of the tunnel only to find myself face to face with this huge Rottweiler staring at me. I was in shock for a second. My stomach dropped. Instinctively, I started yelling at the dog to go home. He just stood there glaring at me, and every step I took, I slowly took trying to get away. He would bark and growl, showing his teeth. So I started stomping toward him in a dominant way, yelling at him to go on. He turned and took steps back, but still proceeded in torturing me, barking and growling. I stupidly started to power walk away. Then I heard his feet running towards me as I had my back turned away from him. I turned back only to see him lunging at me. I fell, and when I turned and looked up at the dog, it was completely out of sight as if I imagined the entire thing. To this day, I don't know if the dog was somebody's pet or what. I didn't even hear him running away after I fell, so maybe he was a spirit. Right, this one is called The Thing. When I was about eight years old, I was up in Maine at my uncle's house with my cousin and little brother, all in the same age range. The part of Maine, Stratton, is pretty secluded about 30 minutes from Canada. We were sleeping on sleeping bags in his living room. Well, all of a sudden, through the window of my uncle's door, probably about nine feet tall, but had human-like anatomy, this thing was standing hunched over looking into the house. We all screamed and did a non-human maneuver, and it did a non-human maneuver with its neck and ran behind the house. The footsteps of this thing practically shook the house. My mom and uncle come running into the living room. It's practically 20 years, and we all still talk about it like it was yesterday. All right, spiders. My friend's father was a missionary in Africa. He was 16 and learning how to shave his face. Three weeks went by and he woke up one morning with his throat extremely swollen. Flew him to the nearest hospital where a trauma surgeon took a scalpel, nicked my friend's throat, and outspewed hundreds of tiny spiders. Oh my gosh. No. No, 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 no. Oh, that's disgusting. <laughs> oh, that visual. Not great. All right. This is why I don't work the late shift. I was working midnights at a gas station. A couple came in trying to get behind the register. They went outside and left. I went into the bathroom and called the police, who came as they were coming back in. They had bags, knives, a gun, a rope, and various other weapons in the trunk. I don't think they planned on me living. I was hiding in the bathroom uh, when they were trying to come back in. Wow. Wow. I mean, a gas station's not going to change your life. It's a lot. 
<laughs> my gosh. Killer doll. My pappy, it's my grandfather, found a life-size doll hanging by a rope around its neck in a tree-wooded area on the way home one day. He said it looked like somebody hung it there and was using it for shooting practice or something. My mom was still a child, so the jokester he is, he brought it home for her and my aunt. Well, they actually liked the thing and cleaned it up and played with it. My grandmother says to this day, the scariest things started happening around their house. One example, it was nighttime, and her and my pappy were in bed sleeping, when she said she woke up to the blanket making her feel strangled. It was almost like someone crawling into the bed and laid in between them. She sat up startled, and that's when their bed started to shake and dressers shaking also. But nothing on the dressers moved or fell. It got to the point she was so freaked out and fed up the spooky things going on in her house, she made my pappy get rid of it. So he's good friends with the owner of a bar who was more than happy to take it off his hands, as he thought it would be a good conversational piece. Exactly one week later, the man who the doll had been given to died. Mind you, he had been in perfect health. Ooh, freaky. I don't mess with dolls. That is... Those are freaky. Final wishes. On an episode of Beyond Belief, like seven years ago, I saw a true story about a stepdaughter who died. She hated her stepmother, and in death, they were both put in the same mausoleum. Every morning, the stone sarcophagus, sarcophagus was cracked, and there was writing on the walls in blood, begging for her to be away from her stepmother, even though the mausoleum was sealed every night. Still gives me chills to think about. Dream Boy. This happened to me. I saw the ghost of a little boy run in front of my car, and I almost crashed. That's not the scary part, though. When I told my mom about it and where it happened, she told me of a dream she had when she was pregnant with me that she hit a little boy with her car on the same road at the exact same spot. When she got out to check on the boy, she said it was me. Hmm. No curtains. My husband and I had just moved into a new house in a new state with our three-year-old. Naturally, I needed to go food shopping for pretty much everything. It was dark by the time I arrived at home, and I could see upstairs in what is now our bedroom. No curtains or blinds yet. What I was sure was my husband standing in the window. There was a light on, so I was pretty easy to see that he was standing there. I clearly needed help unloading, so I went straight inside and upstairs only to find no one was up there. Came back down to find him on the other side of the house, completely immersed in a video game. Clearly had been there the whole time, but I asked anyway. Yep, he hadn't been upstairs since I left. He gave me chills at the time, more so after meeting our new neighbors, who informed us that the previous owner committed suicide inside their house. It was her own late husband that discovered the body. Lots more stories, creepy but harmless. We still live in the house and have learned to coexist. Facebook from Beyond. My friend's friend died, and a few days later, the deceased was commenting on people's Facebook posts. People were spooked and angry and confused. What it came down to is it might have been someone with his phone. He might have commented, lost service, paused, passed away, phone was moved to a location with service, and then it posted. Still shocking. Grandma. One night, I heard my six-year-old daughter talking to someone in her room. 
She was by herself. I asked her who she was talking to, and she said, Grandma Ernie. Ermi. Grandma Irma, only two people called her Ermi, died when when she was one. She had never met her in person. Right. Santa. One Christmas, me and my son were at my parents' house celebrating. It was getting late. I told my son, who was about five at the time, let's go home and get you to bed before Santa goes to our house and has to leave because you're not asleep. We get home. I'm getting our bags out of the house, and my son says, Mama, shh. Santa is in our house. My blood froze. Our front curtains were open to show off our tree. So I asked, what did you see? He said, Santa peeking at us in the window. I was crapping my pants. I took him to my neighbors and told them to call the cops if I'm not back in five minutes. The doors and windows were all locked and no sign of anybody in the house. I was scared all night. One night I had a dream or nightmare. I was in a war. I went around the corner because I was running from something, came around the corner to see a gun pointed at my chest. It shot. With my left hand, this is important, I touched the wound and pulled my fingers away. There was blood on my three middle fingers to about my first knuckle line. I woke up in a dead sweat, calmed myself down, only a dream, and went back to sleep. When I woke up, however, I noticed there was something on my hand, my left hand. There was dried blood on my three middle fingers down to my first knuckle. Of course, I freaked out and immediately went to the full body mirror in the house. There wasn't any other place that had dried blood. Trapped. When I stayed at my grandparents' house, I was laying in the bed, and something came running down the hall. Everyone was asleep, and the dogs were in the garage, but whatever it was jumped on my bed, and since I had my head covered, I never saw it but it trapped me under my covers, and I screamed and cried until I fell asleep. I still have nightmares about it, and I was close to 10-plus years of age. All right, that's all from that article. Freaky, freaky. All right, let's take a short break and be right back at it after this. All right, welcome back, my spooky friends. Now I'm going to get right into some stories about some witches. See where that takes us. Alright, I'm getting this from mentalfloss.com. Today we regard witches as fictional characters, but there, here are some stories of six women who have real magic, real magic moment. Number one, Mother Shipton. This is from Nearsborough, England. The details of Ursula Southfield's life were handed down orally for some time before being published and have been harder to believe as centuries passed. According to some legends, Southfield was born in 1488 to an unwed teenage mother in a cave located in Knaresborough, Northshire, North Yorkshire, England. I don't know why I can't talk tonight. The site of this famous mineral spring that created the cave became a tourist attraction early on. Other accounts paint her as a witch, the product of prostitute mother and the devil himself for a father. Either way, she would go on to be known as Mother Shipton, a woman thought to be prophetess and known for her unfortunate looks. 
After the prosecution of witches in England ceased in 1736, the legend began referring to her as a prophetess. Her predictions were said to be given in verse like her contemporary Nostradamus. Unfortunately, Mother Shipton never wrote any of those prophetic verses down. The first record of them appeared in 1641, 80 years after her death. The prophecies that came true were the ones that were attributed to the long-dead Mother Shipton after predicted the event, and those that predicted a future after publication did not. The most famous of those was the vision of the world would end in 1881. It is very possible that Ursula Southey was a locally known medicine woman of some sort, but her much later fame as a prophetess or the witch is attributed to the promotion of the cave and mineral spring. She died in 1561 at age 73. I actually have another article on Mother Shipton. In spite of her crooked nose and goggle eyes, the ch child grew up to marry a local, local carpenter, Toby Shipton, and became known as Mother Shipton, one of the most celebrated soothsayers of the 16th century. She predicted the fates of several kings and defeat of the Spanish Armada in 1588, the Great Fire of London in 1666, and invention of iron ships. Dukes, lords, and pretenders to the throne consulted Mother Shipton. She was asked to put curses on rival families and send demons to torment murderers and help reunite lovers. No one knows how Mother Shipton died. Some visitors to Nairsborough claim to have seen her face peering from the waters of the petrifying well next to the cave associated with her birth. Others throw love letters, amulets, and more recently teddy bears into the calcifying waters to be turned to stone and blessed by Mother Shipton's supernatural powers. Pretty cool. I like whenever some articles, they, they catch most of it, but then I, I know of other articles that catch a more detailed description. Um, so yeah, let's go on to number two. Katharina Heno, Cologne, Germany. Or Cologne. <laughs> I don't know. I'm really bad with names. Born in 1570, Katharina Hernat was the first female postmaster in Germany, a position both her and her brother had inherited from their father. Hernat was well-respected in the city of Cologne, but she was also caught up in a series of witch trials in the city that ran from 1626 to 1631. In 1627, she was accused of causing sickness among a group of nuns, Hanat was tortured over a period of several months, but refused to confess to witchcraft. She was found guilty and sentenced to be burned alive at the stake. However, the court proceeding in Hanat's case were suspect from the beginning and did not follow legal procedure at the time. In 2012, the case was retried and Hanat was exonerated almost 400 years after her death. Well... <laughs> wow. It was retried and she was exonerated. Okay. There's Alice or Al's Young in Windsor, Connecticut. 
We know very little about her besides the fact that she was the first person to be hanged for witchcraft in the American colonies in 1647, just five years after witchcraft became punishable by hanging in Connecticut. It was the beginning of a witchcraft scare in Connecticut that resulted in quite a few trials and some executions between 1647 and 1662. That's when the governor, John Winthrop, declared that one accuser or witness would be enough to convict someone of witchcraft. Accusations became much less common afterwards. The tragic implication is that Young and her, most of her fellow victims were convicted, executed on the word of a single person. Young had a daughter named Alice Young Beeman, who was also accused of witchcraft 30 years later. Fortunately, Beeman was not executed. Between 1668 and 1676, over 200 people in Sweden were condemned to death for witchcraft. The era of witchcraft trials ended with the execution of Malin Matt's daughter, possibly because of her death was particularly horrific. Matt's daughter was also known as Rampere Malin. Born in Sweden in 1613, she was accused of witchcraft by her daughters. They said... Matt's daughter kidnapped her own grandchildren and took them to a witch's Sabbath rite. Matt's daughter denied all charges and refused to confess to the crime. Her attitude and refusal to confess, even under torture, led to a unique sentence. She would be burned alive. Other convicted witches in Sweden were strangled or beheaded before burning. Matt's daughter was executed on August 5, 1676, the same day as another convicted witch, Anna Simon's daughter, Hack, nicknamed Tazanica, Hack went to her punishment with humility, praying to the end. She was decapitated before the fire was ignited. Matt's daughter stood firm and re reiterated her innocence as she was being burned alive. Afterwards, there were a few people accused of witchcraft but executions were stopped. Only one more witch was ever executed in Sweden, and that wasn't until 1704. After the case of Malin Matt's daughter, the accusers were more likely to be arrested instead, and some were even ex executed for perjury. Wow. Uh, number five, pretty familiar to everyone, is Tibeta, the Salem, Massachusetts. We don't know what year Tituba was born or what the name she was given at birth, but she was a real person, barring fictional characters, is America's most famous witch. Samuel Paris brought her back to Boston from his sugar plantation in Barbados in 1680, along with two other slaves. When Paris started a family and moved to Salem Village, Tibeta accompanied them. Then, after nine-year-old Betty Paris and her cousin, 11-year-old Abigail Williams, started exhibiting strange and unexplained behavior, thought to be the first hint of supernatural possession, Tibeta became suspect. As a slave from the Caribbean, she was a convenient scapegoat. Once witchcraft was mentioned, the girls accused Tibeta, along with several other women from Salem, of oppressing them. Samuel Paris beat Tibeta until she confessed to any and all accusations. Tibeta was arrested along with Sarah Osborne, Sarah Good, on charges of witchcraft. In the beginning of the witch hunt frenzy that grappled Salem in 1692, in which hundreds were accused of witchcraft, 20 people were ex executed, 
and five died while jailed. But Tibeta, the only one of the three who confessed to practicing witchcraft, sat in jail until hysteria died down. She was never brought to trial. However, she stayed in jail for 13 months because Samuel Paris refused to pay for the fees for her release. Wow. Yeah, I've got books and everything. Like, witchcraft is a thing. But, like, that's just frenzy. That's just finger-pointing and frenzy started by some girls. All right, number six, Helen Duncan. In Britain, the Witchcraft Act of 1563, under which many people were prosecuted, was replaced with a more enlightened Witchcraft Act of 1735. The law later did away with the crime of witchcraft itself and ended the era of witchcrafts and executions, but replaced it with crime of pretending to be a witch or possess supernatural abilities. It was, in essence, a law against fraud. Helen Duncan was a Scottish medium who traveled through Britain in the 20th century, century telling fortunes and holding seances. She would conjure up ectoplasm in her act using special effects trickery. Authorities usually ignored such activities unless someone complained, but the World War II happened. British authorities learned that Duncan had revealed the sinking of two British ships during various seances despite news being censored by the government. She was arrested in January of 1944. The charge would have been treason or even espionage, but that would have been difficult to prove, especially without disclosing government secrets. Instead, Duncan was tried for witchcraft under the 1735 law. She was jailed for nine months, and by the time she was released, the war was over. The, 19, or the 1735 Witchcraft Act was finally repealed in 1951. Wow. If you want to join us on the Facebook page, it's Paranormal Stories, Spooky Shizzes and Parentheses. Feel free to send or post your stories, depending on your comfort level, uh, to me for future episodes. Um, other than that, stay spooky, my friends.